Thank you so much, Natalie and uh, Mary Ellen, for that uh, piece. This morning, uh, we are uh, starting a brand new sermon series in the book of Galatians entitled Freedom. Throughout this uh, sermon series, yes, our children are now dismissed. That's my bad. Yeah, follow Lou Jean. Throughout this series, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the many types of freedom uh, the gospel brings us. But we have to first start with the gospel. And so in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, we're going to talk about uh, no other gospel. All right, Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, and so now I say it again, if anyone, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you again, almighty God and powerful, creator of the heavens and the earth who by grace calls us your children. As we open your word this morning, our prayer is that you'll open our hearts and our minds and that, Lord, we'll be able to see your truth through your powerful Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The gospel has been described as a pool in which a toddler can wade, and yet an elephant can swim. It is both simple enough to tell a child and profound enough for the greatest minds to explore. We cannot do the gospel justice by simplifying it into one sentence definition. It's important for us to unpack what the gospel meant to the Jews of the first century, the Gentiles of the first century, and of course to us now. Now the Greek word for gospel means good news. But the good news goes much deeper than just simple salvation. Because simple salvation affects our past, our present, and our future. 
And salvation is not an individualistic concept. And so this morning, with the help of some of my favorite authors, I'd like to share with you just a few of the layers to the gospel. If you've got your uh, bulletin out, write this down as the first layer to the gospel. And it's long, but write it down. Jesus was the messianic king who humbly came to earth in the form of a man. Now, this is the first, very first and foundational layer of the gospel, that Jesus came humbly as a man. You see, the birth of Jesus should draw us back not to Genesis chapter 3, where we read about the fall of man and sin entering into this world, but Genesis chapter 1, that God created the heavens and the earth, and that God created man in his own image. You see, God did not send us to heaven to see but he created man, he created Jesus in the form of man in his image. God did not send us to heaven to see his image, but brought heaven to earth in the form of man in his image. And the good news starts with the fact that God created this world and we are a part of that. And we are a part of his image. When Jesus presented the gospel... That's how he presented the good news. It was through restoration. We've been broken from his image, and God desires restoration. He treated the demon-possessed as man created in the image of God. He dined with the tax collectors. He ate with sinners. He lifted up the broken. And he even healed and preached and cared for Gentiles. If you flip over in your Bibles to the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, in the fourth chapter, in verse 23, we have the first use of the word good news in the gospels. It's the same word that Paul uses in Galatians, the good news. Now, we're going to talk about this later in the sermon series, but Paul is preaching to a church who starts with a different gospel, a gospel that says no to Gentiles. But this is what we read in 423, that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and doing what? Healing. Every disease and sickness among the people. Man was created in the image of God. And God started, Jesus started with the good news that included the good news of healing and restoration. Paul is preaching to a church who said no to Gentiles. Said you may be made in the image of God, but the gospel they preached demanded that those Gentiles first become Jews through circumcision and law in order that they may be accepted. And if you read through the gospels, you'll never see Jesus treat Gentiles in this manner. Instead, we see Jesus bringing restoration. 
The good news is that the world is being restored through the kingdom of God. And we get a chance to work with God in that restoration. Ultimately, Jesus will come back, of course, with a new heaven and a completely restored earth. But what gospel are you telling? John Rittner, an author, wrote a book called Positively Irritating. And he talks about his time in Belgium. Now, Belgium is a post-Christian European country. And John started sharing the gospel in Belgium, but he started with Genesis 3, with sin. And he quickly learned that people in Belgium felt no shame and they felt no guilt for sin. Couples were open about polyamorous relationships. Lying and stealing and cheating was the norm in Belgium. So John decided he would go back to Scripture and see how Jesus spoke and treated others. Take, for example, the woman who was caught into adultery in John's Gospel. The Pharisees brought her to Jesus, accused her of her sin, and Jesus, after strategically encouraging the accusers to leave, he looks at the woman and says, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Maybe instead of accusing, we can start with restoration and allow the Holy Spirit to convict of sin. And for John in Belgium, it worked. He started with restoration and the people of Belgium began to open up about sin, about insecurities, about guilt, about who they were struggling with, what they were struggling with. Then he was able to move on to that second layer of the gospel, which most of us are very familiar with, right? That second layer of the gospel is through the resurrection and the death and resurrection of Jesus Sin has been atoned for and grace given freely. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, sin is atoned for and grace given freely. You see, since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, we have desperately been in need of a Savior. But even in Genesis 3, we're given a prophecy about the coming savior about jesus remember god tells the serpent there will be an enmity between the serpent and the offspring of the woman the words he will crush your head and you will strike his heel refers to the sacrificial death and then resurrection of jesus christ see jesus is not only restoring the world but restoring us as individuals let's take for a moment and, and look at how the disciples of Jesus understood atonement. Walk with me as we, we look at each of these disciples. Peter, for example, in 1 Peter 2, he bore, Jesus bore our sins on, the, on his body, on the tree, on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. John writes in 1 John 3, 5, but you know that he appears so that he might take away 
our sins. And in Jesus, there is no sin. Paul would later write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians and say, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And of course, in the Gospels, John the Baptist wrote, or John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And of course, Jesus, towards the end of his ministry here on earth, said in Matthew 26, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Galatians, however, they wanted to add all these rules to the gospel of grace. The good news becomes bad news when legalism comes into play. When I was 16, I was learning how to drive still, and I hit a mailbox. You see, I was dropping my friend Patrick off after a youth event, and I backed out of his driveway, and I just ran straight over that mailbox. Patrick's neighbors were not home at the time, so I had to leave a note in their broken mailbox that I would pay for the damage. And they called, and they had a decision to make, right? There's a broken mailbox. Either I pay, I dig, I put it back together, or they do it. And they gave me grace. They could have made me pay for it. Or they could have paid for it and made me do the labor. But instead, they gave me grace. The debt was paid by the neighbors, and I didn't have to do anything. What gospel are you telling? There's a man who came by the church years and years ago. We'll call him Tom. Tom had never stepped foot inside of a church building. And Todd told me, Tom told me, he didn't deserve to be inside of a church. And he certainly didn't deserve to talk to God. He came simply asking me to pray for his friend. Somewhere along the way, Tom was taught that you had to act, behave, look a certain way before God would ever accept you. And folks, that's not good news. Final layer of the gospel, we've looked at how God has made us into his image and he is restoring this world. We've talked about the good news of our sins being forgiven and grace given freely. Let's look at that final layer. Jesus now reigns. And he reigns in heaven until he restores, he returns to restore heaven and earth. Jesus reigns in heaven. He's coming back. He's going to restore this world. Author and theologian N.T. Wright, in his book, Surprised by Hope, acknowledges that Christianity today has spent more time discussing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus more than the ascension of Jesus. 
the crucifixion and the resurrection tell us how we stand before God. The ascension, the reign of Jesus, that's what gives us purpose here in life. My kids are really into this game called Among Us. Has anyone heard of this game? Your grandkids or kids play Among Us? It's a multiplayer, multi-platform game. Now, I purposely did not research this game before the sermon because I really don't know how to play it. But I know there's two characters, just by the way my kids talk. There's the, the crewmate and there's the imposters. There's probably more. I don't know anything about this game. And I, I think if you're the imposter, you try to hide that from some others people. You're trying to eliminate other people from the game. And if you're a crewmate, you're trying to get away from the imposter, I guess, and try not to be eliminated. And that's all I know about it. And by the looks of your faces, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But here's my point. With that limited information, if I were to put a device before you like my phone and say, here, play among us, you're going to be clueless. All you would know is these few things that I've talked about. Maybe you've been given that title, crewmate or imposter, but you got no guidance. Maybe you have that basic idea of the end game that I've just got to win. I've got to win this game somehow. I've got to live to the end. But there's no purpose until the game actually ends. And unfortunately, the gospel has been communicated so poorly that many are experiencing this very same dilemma. You've been given that device. You've been told you're a Christian. What exactly am I supposed to do right now? You got an end game. We got to get to heaven, folks. But I don't know what to do until that happens. Maybe we just wait until Jesus comes back and hope we're on the right side of history. Maybe through discipleship we learn a little bit about it. Maybe we learn that we're supposed to read our Bibles. We're supposed to pray, especially before meals. We're supposed to bring our friends to church. But where's the good news? Is it only our past? Is it only where we stand before God? Or is there good news and what God has called each one of us to do? Now, towards the end of this sermon series, we're going to discuss the practice of freedom. But for now, let me point out that the Galatians were more concerned about converting Gentiles into Jews than they were about living according to the Spirit of God. The Jews were more concerned about conversions. Here today, we call those the butts in the pews. They were more concerned about their budgets, right? You see, in Acts chapter 2, in verse 33, Peter gives us the first sermon. We call it the Pentecost sermon. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. And he says these amazing things about Jesus Christ. He gets to the death 
the burial, and the resurrection. And then in verse 33, he keeps going with the gospel. Because he says that Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God, and he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see, what you now hear. Peter had to explain to the onlookers that through the ascension and reign of Christ, the kingdom of heaven has now been established on earth and the Holy Spirit has been poured out generously. We don't want to talk about that, right? We don't want to talk about how the Holy Spirit's been poured out generously on each one of you. And we get so caught up in, what's my gift? What's, how's the Holy Spirit? The final layer of the gospel is that you are given the Holy Spirit to live and act in this world under God's reign. Jesus is king, amen? The earth is his kingdom. And let's just get to work like Jesus did in his kingdom. He doesn't give us the gift of singing and speaking and being friendly on Sunday morning. He gives us the gift of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is the picture of the Holy Spirit working through our lives every day. Not just on Sunday mornings, folk. The world as we know it has to be restored. And he's given this gift of the Spirit so we can be empowered and be the gospel today. Help restore this world Instead of just inviting people to come to church, how about we invite people to be part of this life-changing, life-altering relationship that changes this world, that restores this world. And along the way, we're going to come in, in contact with people who need to be restored themselves. There is only one gospel. There is no other gospel. And that gospel starts with us being created in the image of God. We've fallen, God has restored us, and now he's put us at work here through the gift of his Holy Spirit. This morning, as we approach the table, I want to invite you to remember the true gospel and remember the one who paid it all. We're going to sing a song, and while we're singing, I'm going to encourage you to go and, and take a cup. The cup's got bread and juice in it. The bread represents the body that was broken, the, the blood uh, that was shed. The, the cup rem reminds us of the, of the covenant that God has made in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I am thankful, so, so very thankful the gift of your son Jesus Christ as we gather around the table this morning we do so acknowledging who you are and what you've done and who you've called us to be 
I pray these things in Jesus' name.